as, as uh, the writer describes here, and Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he's praying. Now he's doing exactly what Solomon did when the temple was built. And Solomon was saying, Lord, if any foreign army comes against your people, or if your people do something so grievous they're carried off into a foreign land, and they pray to you, hear their voice when they pray toward this temple. When they look toward this temple. And so Daniel, every day, he would three times a day, he would open the windows and pray toward Jerusalem. Jonah, when he was in the belly of the fish, he prayed with, with, uh, with his mind on the temple in Jerusalem. And so it, it's a picture for us. And this is what Jehoshaphat is doing by honoring God in this way. And he said, O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And then he goes on to talk about how God gave the land to Abraham and drove out the inhabitants of the land. And so in his prayer, he commits the situation to God, knowing that God alone can save. He reminded God that they were his people. He, he, he remi not that God needed reminding, but this is what he was saying. And he acknowledged God's sovereignty over the situation. Acknowledging that God, just as God had driven out the uh, invaders and the occupants of the land in previous situations, he, he was still sovereign over uh, the situation even now. And this, again, as I said, was the scenario that Solomon s uh, said would happen when the temple was built and dedicated. What a beautiful picture it is. Of, uh, of Solomon, who acts like a, 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 almost like the Holy Spirit in the way of, of, of bringing our prayers, bringing us before God, and enabling us to look to Jesus, the greater temple. And Solomon is a picture of that. And uh, so uh, this was a, a great army. But Jehoshaphat here reminds himself that no matter how great that army is, no matter how great it was, and it was, it was, as they call it, this great horde, all these nations, the, this great horde that was coming against them, he, he nevertheless, Jehoshaphat, as a true king, uh, realized that it didn't matter how big their army was, that God uh, could save them. And it didn't matter how big the army of Israel was either. Their army was about, according to some estimates, one over, over a million armed men, over a million soldiers at this time. And yet Jehoshaphat wasn't as foolish as, as so foolish as to depend on that either. He knew from history that even when Israel was well fortified, even when Judah was well fortified, it could fall to their enemies. So Judah, or uh, Jehoshaphat rather, was dismissing any kind of notion that A, the invading army was too big, or B, that they had the, the manpower themselves to effect it. And 
we find that principle when we look at the, the Lord's Prayer, for example. Give us this day our daily bread. Help us not to be presumptuous. Help us not to fear not having enough. And help us also not to presume because our cupboards are full that we are going to have all that we need. Because even when our cupboards are full, we may not have the, the strength. We might not have the health or some other problems might come in that we may not partake of our daily bread. So there is that wisdom. Do not give me too much, Lord, that I may forget the Lord, or that I don't have enough, and that I might steal. So the, the per, he, he's, he's, he's uh, trying to walk that fine line, and this is what Jehoshaphat is doing here. He's walking a fine line against the the great horde that is out there and the army that they have. No, there he is a godly king because uh, he is looking to the Lord regardless of the situation. And so he rehearses all of these things down to verse 12. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What, a, what an amazing verse that is. That's something you can write on your fridge or stick on your desk or uh, put on your screensaver. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We can pray that as families. You can pray that as an individual. I don't know what to do, Lord. I, I'm overwhelmed in this situation. I don't know what, which way to turn. But my eyes are on you. That is an eternal principle. That's a principle that we can uh, hold close to our heart but our eyes are upon you. When we come into the New Testament, again, the, the writer of uh, Hebrews very much promotes that idea. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Those are, there's the great hordes in our lives. We're not often encompassed by a great army, but the sin that so closely is always there. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, friends, that's where all these themes come together. They gather together in the idea of the temple. Jesus is the temple. He is the sacrifice of that temple. And so that whereas the Old Testament people look toward the temple and the redemption that was found there, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And we look to him as that great, uh, uh, as, as, as our sins sometimes threaten to overwhelm us. And where the devil is coming in like a, like a flood. And where sin is abounding in our lives. Where Paul says where sin abounds, grace does all the more abound. And so the, 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 the prophet then uh, comes. Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. And he says in verse 15, Listen, all... Uh, uh, of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord uh, to you, 
Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God, God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up uh, by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm and hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dis dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And so Jehoshaphat is now stirred by uh, the prophets, by this prophet in particular. And Jehoshaphat believed this prophet that God was now speaking through him. And they came to the conclusion that there was nothing left to do but simply worship and praise God. He says there in verse, verse 20, he was convinced. He says, And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tagoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went out before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. So this was his response. This meeting that was called to deal with the crisis turned into an occasion of praise and, and worship and thanksgiving. And all that was left, as one person has, has humorously said, the next day as the army set out to march toward Engedi, the only issue left to solve was what songs to sing and in which key. Imagine going out into battle and deciding what, what songs are we going to sing as we go out. We have to hit the, the right pitch, the right key. And uh, these are the things they're worried about. They're not so much worried about you know, uh, the, the battlements and the, the weaponry and all of these things. They're thinking about choosing the song. And as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. This is the... This, is the, uh, uh, this was the content of their praise. The psalmist says in Psalm 147, some, a principle that is really uh, uh, brought out for us here, that God takes pleasure not in the strength of a horse, nor is His delight in the legs of a man, but the Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. Friends, we're getting at the to the true heart of our relationship with God. I mean, think of the things that you delight in. The things that are specially yours. The things that you love to do. You delight in it. And this is the word that is used to describe when God, uh, when God thinks about those who fear Him and put their hope in His unfailing love. Heaven and earth are moved. Much like we were seeing this morning with heaven and earth being moved. Nations are affected here. Judgment falls here. Salvation appears here. As Jehoshaphat stands before the temple and he proclaims 
the history of God's great works. And as he then claims that for himself, nations are affected. And that again is exactly what God delights in doing for you and I. And for his suffering people around the world, when we delight in his unfailing love, things are happening, friends. We may not see it. It's a big world. It's a very complex world. But nevertheless, God is at work when he, his people pray. He wouldn't mock us. He wouldn't tell us to pray when he was, if he wasn't going to do anything. Of course he is. And we may not see it with our eyes. But we know that God delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love, as that psalm says. The Lord delights in them. You can remember that was the same kind of language that uh, uh, King Asuherus used in Esther. What shall be done for the man in whom the king delights? Remember? Uh, um, the, uh, the Jewish... What's his name? Who's, um, what? Mordecai. Thank you. Mordecai. Mordecai the Jew. And he was... He was... Uh, he, he was he had saved the king's life. He had uncovered a, a plot. Now, now the king was delighting in this man. What shall be done? And so the, the, the red carpet was rolled out for Hezekiah. because, And that is say, the, the same when it comes to God's view of his children. When they're hoping, not looking not to themselves, not boasting in themselves or their accomplishments, but rehearsing. You know, see, this is what Jehoshaphat is doing here. He's not saying, look at us or our accomplishments or our strengths. Lord, did you not say? Are you not God? Are we not your people? He just declared his absolute helplessness, but God's unfailing love. And God responds so amazingly and beautifully here to the cries of his people. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And so they, they appoint these singers to praise God as if, as if the victory were already completed. It's kind of putting the cart before the horse in a way, isn't it? Let's sing first. Let's celebrate first. Let's celebrate first. And then we'll go to war. And it sounds very counterintuitive to us. And yet, this is to be the way in which God's people are to act all the time. Let's praise Him first, and come what may. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did before Nebuchadnezzar. They praised the God of heaven first. Listen, O King. We believe that God can save us from this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will not fall down before. They praised the God of heaven. They honored God. And God brought the deliverance. And so what they're doing here, what Hezekiah is doing, is the very definition of faith. It's looking beyond the circumstances to the one who is in control of it. It's looking beyond the circumstances to know and under, acknowledge the God who is able to bring victory out of even defeat. Who is able to turn everything for our good. 
that's the, that's the victory that the Christian has. That, yes, I'm going through this time of sickness, this time of brokenness, but I choose to believe that even in this, God is able out of the ashes to bring something far greater. And maybe this situation needed breaking down anyway. Right? Sometimes we don't realize that. Sometimes we don't realize the danger of prosperity. Sometimes our families don't realize it. Sometimes our culture doesn't realize the danger of prosperity. And we're getting, we're growing, and think, this is it. <laughs> this is what it means to have arrived. And God brings that crumbling down. And we say, woe is me, where is God? But the Christian can stop and humble himself and say, you know, the Lord, the Lord is in this in some way. And maybe we were getting above and beyond ourselves far too far and far too much. And now He's humbling us to the dust so that out of this He can bring something far more efficient, something far more wonderful. See, that's, that's faith, friends. That's what the Apostle Paul, that's how he framed his life. That's how he looked at his life. Lest I be exalted above measure, God gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Therefore, and God says, my, He says, My grace, I sought the Lord three times, Lord, take this from me. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will glory all the more in my weakness, in my infirmity. You see, Paul. He was in danger of something. Maybe in danger of pride. Of spiritual pride. And God had to bring him down. Paul was, Paul was navigating his way through that situation. Prayerfully, thoughtfully. He said, oh, now I realize the danger I was in. And God rescued me from something that may have overwhelmed me. And so, they praise God. See this about Paul in Acts 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. You remember that? And the, and the, 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 the walls were, were, were crumbled, and the gates had opened, and so on. And the Philippian jailer thought that they had, they had all escaped. But there, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the trial, Paul and Silas uh, began to praise God. Because they looked beyond their situation. Same was said of Moses, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And so they praise God. They realize that, that this is the greatest weapon that they now have this is their greatest calling. This is who they are. And this is who we are as well. And we forget the power of praise. The power of worship. The power of adoration to overcome those things that come against us. And like I said, we don't have armies waiting on, on our doorstep in the morning, but we have indwelling sin. 
we have situations in our, in our lives that feel that they're going to crush us and bring us down and overwhelm us. Where do we go? Paul says, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. This is the Christian who fights at a completely different level than the world. And that's what makes public worship, our worship in a public way and as families, so very important. Because as we come, we don't just come with, as empty vessels. We come with who we are and what's going on in our lives. We come into the house of God and we take those situations and we engage with the psalm we engage with whatever we're singing. We're engaging with the sermon. And we're bringing down the strongholds of guilt and shame and fear and doubt and regret. And we're praising God. And just like the psalmist, we're, we're putting the cart before the horse and saying, I will praise God. Nevertheless, I will praise God. Oh, Israel... Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy and plentiful redemption, and He shall redeem Israel from all His sins. This is, this is the posture of the Christian. This is what Judah even meant. The word Judah, whom all these armies were coming against, means praise. Did you know that? The word Judah means praise. That's why Paul says he is a Jew who is not one outwardly, but inwardly whose praise is from God and not from man. So it doesn't it make sense that the kingdom of Judah would be a people of praise, first and foremost, that that would be naturally where their strength lies. That's what it was supposed to be. And that's what it's supposed to be with you and I. We are Jews inwardly, truly. Circumcision of the heart whose praise is from God and not from man. And who, who, where we praise God from our heart as well. These are the weapons of our warfare. This is what Jesus Himself did in, when He hung on the cross. Psalm 22, we, are, we often read those words, don't we? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we, we fail to realize also what was in that psalm. It's a great psalm of praise because the next words in verse 3 of Psalm 22, which Jesus no doubt also would have held, held on His heart and in His lips, He says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted you. And you delivered them. They cried to you and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not ashamed. I don't believe Jesus only had those first words on, in His heart and mind when He was crying out. Because He was crying out as an Israel. He was crying out as a, as a, as a man. Putting His hope in God's Word. Yet you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them.
And so uh, the rest, as it were, is history. And when they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. The priests. In other words, there is an expression of doing things right here. Doing things according to God's word. Praising God in holy attire. Which again speaks of the power that's behind the praise of a holy people. Not living as we want, but living as God would have us to live. In the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. In other words, these first two nations turned on Mount Seir, this other nation, and they devoured one another. And that's all that in this situation that the children of Israel, the people of Judah rather had to do to stand still and behold the salvation of God and to praise God for who he is and what he has done. And the point of all of this is that we ourselves as we declare our helplessness, as we declare our insufficiency in and of ourselves, we look and honor God for the greatest expression of His steadfast love to us. His steadfast love endures forever. And that is ultimately expressed in the cross of Jesus Christ. That when we are surrounded by a great horde, and doesn't it feel like that sometimes in your life? That it's not just one thing, it may be multiple things all coming in at once. The stress, the worry, everything's piling on. It's a great horde. And where do we go? We don't stop going to church. We don't neglect the means of grace. But we lean in. We lean in and we lean upon the Word of God. We lean upon the Gospel. We lean upon God's highest expression of His love to us, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we take a page out of Jehoshaphat's book. Now this situation, that, as I said at the beginning of this message tonight, Chronicles is a sermon to the people of God, not only to the exiles who have come back, but it's a sermon to all of us. That whether we are in the 6th century B.C. or the year 2022, I almost missed that one, 2022, the principle is the same. That whether you are a Jew in those days or you are a Jew in the heart today because of what God has done by His Spirit, we lead with praise. That's who we are. We lead with praise. And we have far more than Jehoshaphat to give praise to God for, don't we? Jehoshaphat just knew so much, so little compared to you and I about how God's steadfast love endures forever. We have the full, living, breathing temple, the Son of God, who came and died on the cross. And that's why Paul says, 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also along with him not freely give us all things? We are therefore more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither height nor depth nor angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's pray.